Yeah. <laughs> really? During the show. Goodness. Gracious. Great balls of eggs! 9.12 a.m. Saturday, January the 9th, 2021. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. <laughs> so for some reason, the date seems harder to say right now. Maybe it's just because I haven't got the 2021 just rolling. It's not out. rolling off your tongue It's yet. not quite just, it's not locked in quite yet interesting thing about my job is that i'm always thinking about the 2021 before it's here because i'm already putting oh, yeah. stuff in and yeah, yeah, yeah. so i'm always like oh and now it's here okay and now <laughs> and then it so becomes you, quite natural have you started on 2022 stuff yet? not yet 2022 uh That's some be of the end dates 2022 2022 <sighs> Well, here we are. We've got our respective uh, cups of warm beverage. We've got candles lit. We've got little Twinkie Fairy Flex uh, scattered. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Hither and thither about the uh, the, the main uh, yeah, uh, domicile of our residence. And, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, life is unfolding, much as it will. <laughs> Whether we like it or not, for better or for worse, and uh, it's been a hectic week. <laughs> uh, but I think the hecticity exceeds the boundaries of what I would normally call uh, like amphetamine. You know. Yes. Yeah. And we've already discussed this prior to the show because we usually don't talk about political events. Thinking that people get their fill in every other well, yeah. avenue. I think I think everybody is has OD'd on it for some years now. Yeah. And is uh, quietly or loudly in need of, you know, some another kind of, place, some, some kind of a twelve-step yeah. program or something, something else yeah, to really to uh, put their reliance on, so as to ease some stress. I know that I, I, if I can just begin. Yes, you may. I had a uh, experience this week with my at my doctor's office because I I usually go in once a week and get what is known as Bowen work, and I don't know how much we've talked about Bowen work here on the show. Have we talked about Bowen work here on the show, Diane? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. You're well, laughing because I mean, you're eating a bit of I decided to ask a question just as you were putting some peanut butter in your mouth. And nonetheless, a, I'm able to talk. I, I have that kind of ability. I, I would not have been able to do that. Uh, my mouth don't work like that. But anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. <laughs> Bowen work. Bowen work, right. You boy. So, but this week. That's good coffee. For some reason, when I, cause I, because I work there, I can set my own appointments. I have the software here at home and, and, uh. I'd set an appointment, and you usually will put, when you're making an appointment, whether you're going to have Bowen work or if it's just a follow-up or whether it's an annual physical or yada, yada. So I put down, instead of Bowen work, I put craniosacral, craniosacral massage, it's called. Because I thought, you know, what I really want to feel like is that my body is stretched. I want to feel taller in my body because so many of the problems that I have that are kind of chronic uh, physical problems, not not MS related, but just physical ailments, have to do 
with carrying stress in certain areas of my body, right? Like right. my neck and shoulders. And also, I think, in my hip, by virtue of the fact that it's a, a place of extreme tightness of muscle. And the work I've been trying to do with that is to loosen up the muscles. I can't do anything to fix the joint uh, except by getting it replaced, but it's not bad enough yet. But I think by stretching out and getting the musculature to operate as it's meant to will allow me to kind of stay even rather than keep making things worse because I walk funny. You know? I don't walk nearly as funny as I used to. Anyway, I, so I told Cynthia when I got there that I, I really wanted to do some craniosacral because I wanted to feel stretched out. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's try that. So we did it, and I had an amazing kind of in-body but exceedingly uh, energetic experience in that there was a huge heat release out the top of my head, but it started in my head, and my head felt like I was going to explode for a few minutes to where I couldn't even breathe normally because I was so, my head got so hot. At first I thought I was going to cough, and I felt like I should say something because I didn't want, you know, because I wasn't masked up while I was getting this treatment. So, um, But then I realized, no, this isn't a cough. This is just heat. I'm just, just, I've never felt anything like this before. Anyway, when she moved from my upper spine to my neck and started working on my neck, then the heat started to leave and, and relax. And she and I talked about it afterwards, and she had felt it too. Uh, she said, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I don't, you know, Diane has always described you as a, as a kind of a hot person. You know, your body kind of holds a lot of heat. You don't get cold easy. Uh, but I'd never experienced anything like that, given craniosacral massage to somebody, that much heat releasing all at one time. So, and I, I've, I've felt better ever since. In ways that, you know, it's not like my hip hurts less, my neck does hurt less, but it's just I have this feeling that I'm holding myself in a more upright position, which has been something that I've wanted to be able to do uh, ever since I started this kind of treatment. Anyway, I felt that that was a significant experience. It so is. we're going to continue with that craniosacral <clears throat> massage for a while. It's weird because you're, um, we're at an age where most of our day-to-day concerns have to do with a problem in our bodies. Yeah, it's and, true. And the repair work of, or the maintenance or the you know, rehabilitation that we're trying to self-administer. But it's, it's been quite a journey. And uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to heal my hip. I don't think that's going to happen. But I can certainly s- slow down its deterioration. Because it doesn't hurt bad enough yet for insurance to pay for a hip replacement. So yeah, <laughs> i, I got to kind of figure out ways to deal with it in the meantime. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it. That's what was happening to me in the midst of uh, fairly uh, intense uh, national events. Unprecedentedly intense national events. But... I think the last four or five years have been full of those. Yeah, they have. And so this there's, is a, a, there's a cumulative effect there is a cumulative uh, that goes effect. along with the, with the newest unprecedented, unprecedented <laughs> event. Yeah. Event. Well, I, I guess what I want to say about this, because on Wednesday, as with everyone, I think, I... I I just was absorbed as soon as I heard I was working at the time. And one of my colleagues actually wrote me and said, oh, my God, there's a 
there's a standoff with guns in the Capitol. And I was like, what? And so that was when I first started reading about it. And then, uh, obviously, I think for us all, my um, fear and, uh, and astonishment at what was happening Uh, led me to seek a lot of information. And I pretty much have been reading constantly ever since. But I was not uh, reading ways of blaming the people who were there or, uh, you know, I I wanted to seek out what was happening. But but I was also, we have, uh, Heather Cox Richardson has been a, a very... Uh, helpful instructor during this time and and I've also been reading a lot of articles about just this uh, how this has come to pass you know how people can be so much in their minds that this is what's supposed to happen and therefore an election has been stolen or whatever I I've I find it to be an interesting dilemma that we're in right now because everybody is posting to their sides and saying, well, this can't be, you know, they can't have won the election. I mean, I'm certain, I certainly felt that way in 2016. I, I felt like this can't have been true and yet I wouldn't have contested the election results. Um, but I was just astonished that so many people had had decided to to join forces with this kind of mentality, you know. But at the same time, I I recognize that uh, there are extremist groups on both sides, and neither one really wants to to claim the actions of their extreme. Right. But I mean, at the same time, I think what we were awakened to in 2016 was some facts about our state of privilege and our state of isolation within that state of privilege. And I think that was one of the things that was a kind of a wake-up call for me is recognizing maybe for the first time in a real visceral way how much anger there was in That's the country, right. in parts of the country that I've never visited and where I know no one, um, you know, and that's not, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that in, in any way to absolve myself. Uh, I'm actually, it's part of the indictment is that I know no one and I don't know of them right. or their, what causes their anger, what brought it on and what, what continues to feed it. So that was a wake up call in the midst of all the rest of it. Well, and that's why Heather Cox Richardson's, uh, videos and statements have been so helpful for me in understanding a little bit about what is going on right now. And I say a little bit because I am so ignorant, Mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like I'm taking little baby steps into educating myself in this way. But, but the main question that she brought up that really hit me is who has a voice in our country that seems to be the main question is who gets the voice here and uh and she's she was talking about how things had evolved particularly since the reconstruction 
and uh, her her area of specialty in research in history is the period of the Reconstruction, right after the Civil War and the westward expansion that was happening at the same time. So by having her information about this being a part of events that have been going on since that time and realizing that the, the, that our there i know i've read a lot recently about how our democracy is fragile and but it's even more so because the democracy that is available that has been available to some since the start has only recently been given to some others and you know and, and and it's a very slow incremental process. Right. I would say that it's not there yet That's in terms right. of delivering things that we take for granted to everyone. Right. But another thing that I read this morning, and I read this this morning uh, because of the, the whole Twitter, <laughs> uh, what's happening on Twitter now, uh, having... Right. Right. It's like the high tech companies are finally awake to the fact that that they may have had a that they may have had a hand in this, hand and I think they're this. also battling against the concept that they need to be broken up because they're too big and too powerful. And uh, Facebook and Instagram would be the prime examples of that, but also you know Google, Google and and Twitter, and, and we should say that we do not participate in Twitter. We don't. I never we, have. Yeah. Facebook I, is my only. I have an account in, on Twitter, but I have not been to it. I could not. I don't even think I have my login and password saved anywhere. I don't have an account. It, I lost interest in it very quickly. And I, I always this, felt like it doesn't give you enough room to say anything. Yeah, and I it's just a, it's just a steady stream of you know people saying stuff, and it's kind of it's hard to follow a thread. I don't know. It's just I'm a geezer, and you know there's a point at which we all kind of are technical, technologically outdistanced, and I'm fine with that. I'm not going to read this whole article, but I am going to read... Uh, so this is an article that was writ- written on December 3rd before... Is it's, it an opinion piece? or It's an opinion piece in the New York Times by a man named Charlie Warzel. And I actually, as I say, I was led here from uh, something that he posted more recently but i was so interested in his in this what this said that what's the what's the what's the title of the article what's it about uh excuse me the the article title is trump and his supporters want what they can't have and then the subtitle is the culture war doom loop is eternal and I'm just going to read you uh, just the first three paragraphs because it's pretty much stating the, the thesis. Donald Trump's win in 2016 never brought his followers the cultural power they'd hoped it would. Quite the opposite. It prompted many cultural institutions, from professional sports to Hollywood, to oppose Mr. Trump and his political project with more fervor. That reaction helped fuel a sort of Mobius strip of grievance. And in italics, this is the the idea. We came to power because we were the overlooked, hated, silent majority. But when we came to power, our opposition hated us and treated us unfairly. 
The result of that treatment is the loss of our power and proof that the system is rigged against us. Once again, we're the overlooked silent majority. That telling omits quite a bit. Most important, it omits the political power that the right wields and accumulates through the courts and through structural advantages in institutions like the Electoral College and the Senate. But the sense of threat is fundamental to the modern right's self-identity. It's worth noting, too, that the conservatives say that they recognize the same dynamic on the left. Yeah. And, and so his, his, uh, he goes on and he says both sides feeling like they're losing a crucial aspect of the American cultural conflict. To both conservatives and progressives, the cultural war looks like one side is routing the other. Each side takes its natural advantages for granted, but losses of any type feel ex existential. Mm -hmm. And it really, uh, the reason why I wanted to say that is that my own way of dealing with all that is going on right now, and we talked about this a little last night, is I am looking at my own shadow sides. You know, mm -hmm. I am looking at the things that I do to perpetuate that, that doom loop of eternal grievance. Yeah. And I am, I'm questioning a lot of my own values and, uh, and things that I've taken for granted, things that I thought were always in the landscape because everything is shifting so quickly. And I think that one of the, as I was starting off to say, you know, neither, neither side that you decide that you're on right or left, I mean, has really accepted the fact that their extremist sides are pulling towards a violent outcome. Because I actually saw some comments from people on one of my friends' Facebook feeds who has both friends from the right and the left. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were saying, well, that wasn't our folks. Antifa came in buses and they were the one. And I felt like until we all acknowledge <laughs> that we have uh, some violent extremists on our particular side, we'll never get anywhere because then it's just like, no, you, no, you, no, you, no, you. Yeah. And I, I feel like we are still, as a society, trying to grow up. You know, we're still fairly young. And I feel like we're trying to figure out in that, I mean, it's almost like we're adolescents in a sense. Mm -hmm. We're trying to figure out, well, how do we make this work? Because really, government is just how do we all work as a society? Yeah, what... It's not about winning and losing. It's right. about finding a place where you can agree. Exactly. You have to find the place, the middle ground, you know, and sometimes it's going to be farther left than you want it, and sometimes it'll be farther right than you want it, what is decided on. Right. But that's how government is intended to work. It's not a perfect system. It's the best we can do with our extreme viewpoints. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it, the design of government is to be boring. Yeah. You know, and I think we are so what we are addicted to is the conflict in media. The media is swarms onto the conflict points and we're kind of addicted to that kind of culture, I think, yeah. on, on, on a lot of ways. And I think that's part of 
what would what you might be calling in your the way you were describing it as an adolescent kind of experience because we are we are kind of dazzled by the big lights of the big headlines of the you know and we need to understand that for government to operate there can't be those big bombastic you know somebody owning somebody or somebody smashing somebody or yeah, exactly. you know somebody destroying somebody it just does it can't work that way if it's going to work at all well that's the thing that i think has been so troubling to me is uh and i think i've mentioned before my my parents were conservatives and i was so they were centrist conservatives i was a centrist um liberal and uh I I'm uh, I don't even know how to to define myself, right. but I always knew that I wanted to have the debate. I wanted to hear both sides of the argument, and I'm always more drawn to people who have a have rational, factual uh, information that they're using to yeah. base their argument, and I also want to hear more of a philosophical tempered approach on on the sides right but one but, of the things that heather cox richardson points out to us or points out to me at least uh is that the anger that i became aware of yeah has been there for a couple of hundred years that's right has been there since the civil war and before and it's woven so deeply into the culture that it's something that we all have to acknowledge moving forward. And that one of the things that I am encouraged by is that, you know, I watch the, uh, you know, I do my live stream things and I'll get like, you know, 30 or 35 people will be there during my live stream. And I'll watch Billy Collins, you know, his live streams usually have, you know, a couple of thousand people. But when I watch Heather Cox Richardson's live stream, she's got like 50,000 people viewing it live right plus all of those things are archived and she's got a youtube channel that's got all these i wish only that because she has done so much content that it could be organized better yeah you know because if you're some of the things are on youtube and some of the things are only on facebook and if you got to scroll through her video page on facebook and try and remember where you left off and because she does these series of talks and she's been doing one about the reconstruction that has been extremely educational because you recognize that these are patterns that still exist all of the primary kind of theses that existed back then are still in operation in our political life now uh, and in our national life and it it gives you a sense of context that is calming that's what i like (laughs) primarily it's calming and also encouraging because you realize this is a process. It's right. always been a process. And we have kind of, uh, you know, as this, as history has unraveled, we've kind of ebbed and flowed in and out of conflict points. And But the places in between were periods of time where government seemed to function fairly well in that there was no violence, there was right. no... there there was not a, a defined or vocal extreme on either political uh, uh, polar cap. Um, and so you re- recognize that government can work and that these ebbs and flows have been occurring and probably will continue to occur. Right. So, But it makes you feel like it's not the end of the world. 
right? Because there have been lots of ends of the world in our history, right? You know? And even in the even in the twentieth century, there was it was several ends of the world uh, that were happening. If you count the plague in the early year, World War One, World War Two, you know all these different conflicts. So it gives me I, hope <clears throat> not only that of what she's saying, but how many people are there. I uh, I agree entirely with what you you just said, of course. But I want to to add that I feel like it's calming. Because for me, I don't know what it is about my psyche, but when, when something is happening that is alarming to me, I want information. I want to understand it. I right. want to understand what's going on. And to have her provide that information, and she's saying it in a calm voice, and she's talking about the... And she's talking like one of us. She's not, yeah. she's not like an ac- academic person who's, you know using lofty language she's kind of and she kind of stumbles along because a lot of this stuff she is doing kind of off the top of her head in the moment i always think it's like having an educated friend who is uh who is filling you in on their knowledge of history in a very accessible way yeah because you really need to frame it in a larger context in order to start to feel like you're understanding it that's right you know that is the first step is to is to enlarge not, take it off of the screen and off of the headline, back away from that, right. and actually fill in some of the background material to understand what's really going on here, you know, kind of thing. At least that's my experience of it. And so, I mean, because we cannot discuss this fully. That's, no, that's, that's just a, sort of stating that where it's what an has ongoing been conversation that us. needs to be going on everywhere. Right. Yeah. And so, I think just in in order of time i'll uh i think we can leave it there that that's what we've been doing this week um trying to get context trying to understand uh, what is going on in and our, also to release some anxiety and some release tension. some anxiety yeah. oh man i mean i was everybody was right well, i wondered you about know. because i went to the and got the craniosacral massage on wednesday right on Wednesday. Yeah. That's when I went. And I, you know, as, as I was having this release of heat, I was wondering, you know, what what percentage of this is about what's going on today? Yeah. You know, as well, I was because, having it happen, you know? I mean, uh, it's definitely a, a scary uh, thing. And I, uh, on Wednesday, I was so ramped up, I couldn't sleep that night. Yeah, just because I, I felt like my body was in a fight or flight uh, yeah. And place. it was like, it was like... It felt like it felt, I mean, I was in kindergarten when Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. But I was the one who brought the news home to my family. Oh, my god! Because I was let out of school, and I showed up at home, and my parents were like, what are you, you're supposed to be in school, what are you, you know, and I said, well, the, the, the president's got shot, you know, and they're oh like, what are you gosh. talking about, what are you talking about, the president's got shot, you know, and then they got a phone call from a neighbor or something, because my folks were... They weren't, you know, they, it was an era where you didn't have the TV on all day. Right. So, and they, in the next, in the next weeks after that event, it was like the entire world was in shock. You know, yeah. the entire world was different and trying to get over something. And, you know, the same thing when Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy and, and those kind of events happened, you had this sense of, or like when Nixon resigned, you know, yeah. these kinds of things that feel in the moment kind of cataclysmic on some level and you don't know what to do with them 
but you want more information, you know? Yeah. So, anyway. Well, and so we are still in that place. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that brings up the music of why I chose the music today, because I, I was telling you this morning, I, I really wanted classical, because I really wanted something that was soothing, you know, yeah. something that... Um, that doesn't rile me up because everything that I have is kind of riling me up in the, even, even as I'm seeking more information about what's going on. And there's still a, a, a place of discomfort, I want to say. And also uncertainty as to the validity of our knowledge. You yeah, know? We're, yeah. we're still trying to educate ourselves. And so to, to state a viewpoint of any kind right now seems premature premature exactly so uh what came to my mind when i was thinking about classical music was this piece that is not incredibly well known uh a lot of people who love classical music do know of it and it's uh it's anglicized version is the moldau um, which is a river, and that it was actually, it's the German side of the river, but the Czech who wrote the piece is, and I don't even know how to pronounce his first name. Yeah. I don't know really how to pronounce his last name, but it looks Smetna. like Smetna. Smetna. And, um, and it came to my mind for a lot of reasons. Um, one is that my father loved this piece so much. And he used to put it on in mornings uh, along the, the morning music that we had on a weekend was often Beethoven's Pastoral or this piece or uh, some of the more calming, beautiful classical pieces. And I always love this piece. But the other reason why it struck me is because it's about a river. And uh, I actually, as is my want on a Saturday... <laughs> I, I look up the information about the piece, and I found it very interesting because it's Latava is the Czech way of pronouncing this. It's also known by its English title, the Moldau, and the German Die Moldau. And uh, it's a tone painting again. We've talked about tone paintings in right, the past. Right, right to evoke the sounds of one of Bohemia's great rivers. And uh, he said, the composer said in his own words, the composition describes the course of the Voltava, starting from the two small springs, the cold and warm Voltava, to the unification of both streams into a single current. The course of the Voltava through the woods and meadows, through landscapes where a farmer's wedding is celebrated, the round dance of the mermaids in the night's moonshine, on the nearby rocks loom proud castles, palaces, and ruins aloft. Hmm. The Voltava swirls into the St. John's Rapids, then it widens and flows through Prague past Vasharad, I totally botched that, I'm sure, and then majestically vanishes into the distance, ending at the Lob, or Elbe in German. And I just love that 
But it, what it made me think of, and, and it's interesting how your subconscious does what it needs to do. Right. What it made me think of is the uh, Siddhartha from Hermann Hesse talking about that his whole path was leading him to, to become a, a ferryman on the river, you know. And it starts off with him taking the ferry across the river with this this man who is the ferryman who just is totally peaceful and it ends him with him after a lifetime of conflict and and craziness and even his own um, religious pursuits joining this man on the river and and I looked up a couple of quotes and I just thought about that uh, you know the because i remember the the ferryman saying that the river teaches you everything and and so the quotes that i had were they both listened silently to the water <clears throat> which to them was not just water but the voice of life the voice of being the voice of perpetual becoming and all the voices And all the voices, all the goals, all the yearnings, all the sorrows, all the pleasures, all the good and evil, all of them together was the world. All of them together was the stream of events, the music of life.